following is a Galactic Digital Studios production. It's the podcast that people who believe you can just 2K your way in real life to an NBA championship have already removed from their Spotify feed. Also, this podcast does not firmly believe, unlike some people, in the conspiracy theory that based on the Super Bowl logo, the, for- the NFL has already preordained the San Francisco 49ers and Baltimore Ravens to go to the Super Bowl this year. This is Sports Central, part of the Closing Tag Network. I am Raul Smith, head of development and design over at Galactic Digital Studios. If you're in the market for video editing, graphic design, logo design, web development, or SEO services for your business, visit galacticdigitalstudios.com. That's galacticdigitalstudios.com. There's the name right there. Galactic Digital Studios, out of this world service, at down-to-earth prices as I gather my breath. If you are one of those people, that believe you can just throw a team of all-stars together and just steamroll your way to an NBA championship. You are in for a rough time today. You might just want to skip this episode. I'm about to debunk that theory entirely. But first, let's get into why I'm going into this topic today. On October 30th, the Philadelphia 76ers traded beleaguered all-star guard James Harden, and power forward P.J. Tucker to the Los Angeles Clippers for Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, Nick Batum, K.J. Martin, two future first-round picks, two future second-round picks, and a pick swap to be determined. Now, on the surface, on paper, this sounds like a great trade. The Clippers get some immediate offensive help on their front five, while the 76ers finally move on from the James Harden fiasco and move on quite nicely. But it's that very fiasco that should give people pause about this trade. For months now, there has been a nasty and very public war of wards between James Harden and Philadelphia GM Daryl Morey. Harden has gone on record calling Morey a liar and a used car salesman. Morey hasn't exactly done much of anything to quell the situation, and trust me, I'll get into him here in a little bit. Then, right before the 2023-2024 preseason training camps, Harden showed up for practice, overweight, and out of game shape. Stop me if you heard that before. Because it's a very similar shape that he showed up for his last round of practices when he was in Houston. He's also refused to participate in defensive practices. Again, stop me if you've heard that before. Even going as far as walking out of practice entirely. Then he suddenly disappeared. No explanation, no notice given to the NBA offices. Just gone. The 76ers PR department would go on to notify the NBA front office that Harden had taken what they called a 10-day excused absence. 
a 10 day excused absence. Like, what is this grade school? Oh, but it gets better. Harden finally showed up for practice as the team was getting ready for the season opener against Milwaukee. While Harden appeared to be ready to go, the team had mildly suggested that Harden stay home for the season opener and work on getting himself back into game shape. He ignored the advice of the team, and when he showed up at the airport ready to go to board the plane, the team plane for the game, he was stopped by airport security who had specific instructions from Maury not to let Harden on the team, on the team plane, as the cat walks in the background. The team rumors, or the trade rumors, started to fly around, except one problem. According to several anonymous NBA GMs, no one wanted to trade for him. Some cited the asking price that Maury was asking for in return was too high. Others simply stated that at $35.6 million, James Harden at this stage in his career just simply wasn't worth it. Seemingly the only team in the NBA that even reached out with any kind of offer for Harden was the Los Angeles Clippers. When even LeBron James doesn't want anything to do with you as a former NBA All-Star, that's not good. And it's not like the guy doesn't put up stats. Last season, Harden led the league in assists per game at just under 11. Pretty impressive. But that was with a reliable beast like Joel Embiid having an MVP season. Nobody even wanted to talk to the 76ers about Harden, much less make them an offer. There was legitimate talk around the league that the Sixers would possibly send Harden home for the season. Just let him collect his salary and let him stay home. There has even been talk about Harden getting a lot of offers to go play in the Saudi Arabia League. Yes, I'm sure you were today years old when you found out that Saudi Arabia had a basketball league, but they do. Then the trade happened. Maury, had been, who had been asking for prospects and picks, got plenty of both. Now Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, and Robert Covington aren't going to blow anybody away with stats or with monster games, but what they can provide is quality depth for the 76ers to build around Embiid. As for the Clippers, they are rolling the dice big time on the hopes that Harden puts it together with his new teammates and leads them somewhere that he himself has not been since his early days in Oklahoma City. The NBA Finals, as there's a train going in the background. Clippers fans have a lot of hope, but experience and history are advising everybody to just temper expectations. Which brings me to my next topic. Don't worry, like I said, I have plenty to talk about Daryl Morey later on. 
I wanted to come on here and address the fallacy of the super team. People automatically assume that you can just throw three megastars onto a team somehow and make it work. That those three megastars can automatically make a team the instant favorites to win an NBA championship. They'll point to examples like the late 90s Bulls or the Miami Heat trio of LeBron, Wade, and Bosch or even go, going further back than that to the Boston Celtics in 1986. Not realizing that there is a lot more to building a super team than just throwing pieces of the puzzle at the board and hoping that they all fit. Yes, those teams found a way to make it work. Bill Jackson probably aged 20 years in only having in only three years having to coach a team of Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman. But here's the thing. In order for those teams to work, there has to be an alpha. One guy that can command the ball at any time and confidently tell the other teammates, hop on my back. I'll get you where you need to go. For the Chicago Bulls, that was Michael Jordan. Head and shoulders, the best scorer on that team. For the Showtime Lakers, it was my it was Magic Johnson. For the Celtics, it was Larry Bird. For the Miami Heat, it was LeBron James. Yes, technically it was Dwayne Wade's team. But LeBron, especially 2013 LeBron, was the clear-cut best scorer in the game. There was no one even close on his level in the entire league that year. The second element to a successful super team is a strong Robin or second-in-command. Somebody that realizes that, yes, I have the ability to take over at any time if needed, but the majority of the scoring duties still fall on the alpha. For those bowls, very clearly it was Scottie Pippen. Pippen could go off for 30 at any point, but that would disrupt the entire offense. And he only did so when he needed to. For the Lakers, it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Abdul-Jabbar, former MVP, was winding down in his career and... He would often defer to Magic, who was clearly the better player at that stage. For the Celtics, it was Kevin McHale. For the Heat, again, it was Dwayne Wade. The third element to a successful super team is a strong third man that can get the work done in other ways. For many super teams, it could be somebody that can handle rebounding or interior defense. And others, it was distributing the ball. Jordan's Bulls had that very strong defensive rebounding and interior defensive presence in Dennis Rodman. The man was a freak of nature. And I mean that in the most positive sense. The Showtime Lakers had James Worthy and or Kurt Rambis. The Celtics had the of the 80s had Robert Parrish, a.k.a. The Chief. The Miami Heat had Chris Bosh. 
a guide that would help in defend the interior, then make the outlet pass to a running Wade, who would then often find LeBron for an alley-oop. The fourth element to a successful super team is a great supporting player or players. Somebody that can hit the clutch shot or make the play that no other player on the team outside the big three can make. For the Bulls, that player was Steve Kerr. Kerr, who was often a backup point guard behind Ron Harper, would often come in at the end of the game and make a clutch shot or two or throw the opposing defense off by hitting a couple shots in the middle of the game. The defenses had a hard time trying to double team Jordan, knowing that would often leave Kerr wide open. The Showtime Lakers had a scrappy point guard named Byron Scott. The Lakers, depending on which year you want to bring up, either had Danny Ainge or Dennis Johnson. The Heat had a guy. You may have heard of him. His name was Ray Allen. Ray Allen, who had previously helped Boston win a couple championships, jumped over to the Heat, and it was Allen's shooting that helped keep opposing defenses honest, leaving whoever was unfortunately unfortunate enough to guard LeBron that night on an island. The fifth and final element to a successful super team is great coaching. I mentioned Phil Jackson in Chicago. The Lakers had Pat Riley. Casey Jones was with the Celtics. Pat Riley comes up again because he was the head coach of that Miami Heat team. Actually, no, I think he moved on at, to the front office and it was Eric Spolstra that was the coach at that time. It's only when all five of these elements come together that you truly have something special and something that can work. Then you have super teams that just simply don't work. For whatever reason, either the chemistry is off or in-house squabbling or something or another, it throws the balance completely off. It could be that two teams or two players on that team are trying to be the alphas. It could be the third wheel wants to contribute more offensively. It could be any number of things, and it's up to the coach who tries but ultimately fails to steer the ship back on course. Since I brought up Phil Jackson, and since I brought up the Lakers, let's bring up the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. Now, the first three seasons of that experiment, just everything was clicking. Shaq was a clear alpha. Kobe, the guy that could go off at any moment, but deferred to Shaq. And Rick Fox was the third wheel with Derek Fisher as the silent but deadly type. With Phil Jackson coaching, the plan was working and the team would go on to win three straight NBA championships in the early 2000s. But then it happened. Kobe started to get more and more of the offensive responsibilities. Shaq was becoming less and less reliable, even showing up for practice out of shape. And in 2003, the team had acquired two all-stars to help lighten the load. Gary Payton and Carl Malone. And on paper, it appeared that the team of Kobe, Shaq, Glove, and Malone 
would steamroll their way to an NBA championship. And they came pretty close. But injuries to both Malone and Peyton would derail them from time to time, and they would end up losing in the finals to the Detroit Pistons, a team that had no business beating the Lakers, much less beating them four games to one. Another excellent example is another Lakers team, only this one was just a few years ago. Frustrated that he doesn't have enough help, stop the podcast if you've heard that before, LeBron instructs the front office to trade for multi-time all-star Russell Westbrook. Then to make matters worse and to compound on issues, LeBron instructs the front office to go grab two more all-stars in Dwight Howard and Carmelo Anthony. Yes, for a year, the Lakers had LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, Dwight Howard, and Carmelo Anthony. That is five former All-Stars for those keeping track at home. The team finished 33-49 and and missed the playoffs entirely. People can point to injuries or a lack of bench depth, but the reality was that you had guys, particularly Westbrook and Anthony, who simply did not understand or accept their role on the team. The following season, Anthony retired and the Lakers traded Westbrook in a multi-team deal that brought in key role players like Jared Vanderbilt and Rui Hachimura. The Lakers would pick up things rather quickly by not only making it to the playoffs, but going all the way to the conference finals. Now it's also important to note that Russell Westbrook is now on that very same Clippers team that just traded for James Harden. So there's that. Speaking of Westbrook and Harden, they tried to make the super team thing work for a while there in Houston. And in some respects, it actually did. They finished fourth in the West before completely falling apart in the second round that year to the Lakers. In that series, you could see Harden and Westbrook having shouting matches back and forth, and the Rockets would struggle to find a trade partner before finally sending Westbrook to Washington. Another recent example is the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets felt that by trading for three All-Stars, it would all come together and work. Back in 2012, they would trade for Boston duo Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, as well as Utah point guard Darren Williams. The Boston trade would continue to haunt the Nets organization for years afterwards and is often referred to to this day as the worst trade in NBA history. Then if that wasn't bad enough, they did it again years later. Needing salary cap room to sign the free agent duo of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, the Nets trade most of their roster that helped them get to the playoffs the year before to bring in Durant and Irving. Not satisfied with the team as it was, they make the trade for Houston star James Harden. 
a team with Durant, Harden, and Irving should have on paper very easily gone to the NBA Finals. But instead, they lost in the second round to the eventual champion Milwaukee Bucks. Halfway through the following season, the Nets decided to clean house. They fired head coach Steve Nash. They traded James Harden to Philadelphia for Ben Simmons. How's that working out, by the way? They traded Kyrie Irving to Dallas. And they traded Kevin Durant to Phoenix after Durant posted some cryptic tweets about how he was promised things that were never delivered upon. The concept of building a super team is very much like the concept of building a regular team. Not only do you have to identify players that are of interest to you, that you feel will help the team, but you also have to identify their strengths and their weaknesses and make the pieces fit. The biggest reason why Russell Westbrook did not work out with the Lakers was because he was a guy that needed the ball in his hands the majority of the time in order to be effective, which clashed with the style of basketball that LeBron James was accustomed to. By the way, that very same thing is going to wind up happening with the Clippers, and I'll get to why in a bit. The reason the Nets failed time after time after time was that they went after players that were well past their prime and they expected it to work. Durant, as he signed the contract, was still recovering from a torn Achilles tendon that he suffered just months earlier in the NBA Finals. Physically, Durant was never truly recovered from the injury. James Harden was a shell of his old self, and Kyrie Irving never truly recovered from his time in Boston. It also didn't help that Irving missed the latter chunk of the 2020 season as he held out in defiance of the NBA's mandatory COVID vaccination program. The reason the Clippers experiment will fail is very similar. Not only do you have a clash in styles between Westbrook and Harden and Kawhi Leonard, but you also have four older, slower, not quite what they once were players who all need to be ball dominant to be effective on offense. And if you thought the 2019 Houston Rockets of Westbrook and Harden were a terrible combo on defense, oh boy, just wait. Just wait. And with both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard slower to react on defense, it's going to be free trips to the lane for opposing offenses. This is also the reason why Miami not trading for Damian Lillard, if I can even talk, was probably the best thing to happen. I like Dame. I think he's a Hall of Famer today. If you had to put a gun to my head and say, Damian Lillard, as he is now, is he a Hall of Famer? I say yes. But I don't think his style of play would have meshed well with Jimmy Butler or any of them in Miami. It's all about how the pieces fit together. Lillard fits well 
in my in Milwaukee because he plays well with Giannis. Golden State made Kevin Durant fit with the Warriors because of his style of play complemented the open floor style that helped both Steph Curry and Klay Thompson become so dangerous in the first place. Plus he understood his role. Yes, he was the primary scorer, but it was still Steph's team. Super teams rarely work, in my opinion, because GMs are too busy playing, trying to play NBA 2K in real life and not taking into account the little things that help make a team so great in the first place. Over the last seven years, with the exception of the Golden State Warriors, who won three of those seven NBA championships, only one has been won by a team that might be considered a super team. The 2020 Los Angeles Lakers. The third wheel on that team with LeBron and AD, depending on who you ask, was either Alex Caruso, Rajon Rondo, or Cal Kuzma. And then whoever the odd man has out of those three could fall in the number four spot. The other three teams to win were the Toronto Raptors, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Denver Nuggets. The bottom line is that the super team fallacy is over. The only super teams that work are built by GMs and architects that would do just as good a job of building a team of role players like the 2004 Pistons as they would a super team. Throwing players together and making it work somehow may actually work in a video game, but this is real life. And things like chemistry and reliability, things that can't be measured by stats or metrics or analytics or computational equations in an AI-controlled environment, also matter. And right now, in those departments, the Clippers are not looking good. Not at all. On paper, they look great. They look amazing. But keep in mind, keep in mind, this is 2023, not 2019. And a lot has changed in those four short years. To the Clippers fans, I ask that you temper your expectations when talking about your team's chances this year against the heavy hitters like the Warriors, like the Nuggets, hell, even against your big brothers, the Lakers. And for Ty Lue, all I can say is good luck. You're going to need it. Which brings me to Daryl Morey. Now, don't get me wrong, what Daryl Morey did in Houston for a while was pure genius. He was able to rebuild the Rockets after the Yao Ming era had ended and built them into a legitimate title contender. And if we're being completely honest with ourselves, if not for the Golden State Warriors, Houston might have actually made the NBA Finals a couple of times during that time, particularly uh, with Chris Paul and the team. 
But the problem is that he is now in charge of a Philadelphia 76ers team that just doesn't have a lot to offer. Really, outside of Joel Embiid after this trade, there isn't a lot Philadelphia can offer to other teams that they actually want. Just don't tell that to him. This is the same guy, keep in mind, that wanted three future first-round picks and a superstar from Brooklyn for Ben Simmons. Now, in comparison, the Utah Jazz were able to get three future first-round picks and a pick swap along with a group of assets, including a guy that eventually developed into a superstar in Laurie Markkinen for Rudy Gobert who is considerably better on defense than Ben Simmons. He's also a better free throw shooter. And for better or worse, will actually take shots outside of five feet. Unlike Simmons. Now, Ben Simmons is better at passing the ball than Gobert, but that's really about it. And people were stunned and flabbergasted at Danny Ainge being able to get that kind of a haul for Gobert. What does that tell you about Daryl Morey's insane asking price for Ben Simmons? Now looking back, Philly did get a pick swap and James Harden from Brooklyn for Ben Simmons. But let's be honest, Brooklyn was just as desperate to get rid of Harden as Philly was to get rid of Simmons. If not for James Harden becoming becoming available, be completely honest with ourselves, Sixers fans, do you really think Daryl Morey would have gotten half of what he wanted? Now, all the Morey apologists will come on here and say, listen, the guy started high, to see what he could realistically get in the market. He didn't actually think he was going to get that much for Ben Simmons. And my counter to that is this. You don't keep asking the same price for over a month if it's just the starting point. He was on the verge of doing the same thing with the Clippers before they made him a pretty sweet offer. And honestly... And all things considered, it was the best offer he could have gotten for Harden. Honestly, it was the only offer available. No one else was even interested in discussing James Harden with Daryl Morey. No one else wanted the guy. The only team foolish enough to think that he won't spend every waking hour of his free time boozing and partying up is the one town in the United States that gives him more of those options than any other. Los Angeles. So, you know, there's that. And yet, Maury insisted. Now, it worked this time. It worked because the Clippers were desperate for another scorer to help relieve Kawhi Leonard and Paul George of their pressures on offense. Now, granted, it makes their job all that much harder on defense, but offensively, it should provide a bit of a respite. 
Now, I don't know how much truth there is to what James Harden said about Daryl Morey, about him being a liar. But I do know that between the time those comments were made and the time that the trade happened, that Daryl Morey did not make one public statement or do anything publicly to either refute or deny those allegations. Now, whether that means there was truth behind Harden's accusations or that Maury just simply didn't want to get his hands dirty in the media with Harden is entirely up to interpretation. But what's not up to interpretation is that the Philadelphia 76ers have not felt like a true championship contender since they lost that heartbreaking seven-game series in 2019 to the Toronto Raptors. In a conference where Boston and Miami and Milwaukee seem to now have a stranglehold on the conference championship, Philadelphia almost feels like an afterthought. Despite winning 50-plus games in each of the last two seasons, and despite having the reigning and defending NBA MVP, Joel Embiid. A large part of that blame has to fall on Daryl Morey. And if Philadelphia doesn't get it done this season, if they can't get to the conference finals this season, and they have to start fielding questions in June from the media about the possibility of Joel Embiid leaving, Daryl Morey will have no one to blame for that but himself. And it's very possible that he'll have all the time in the world to reflect because if they can't get it done this season, I don't see how Daryl Morey stays in Philadelphia after this season. But what are all what are you guys' thoughts on all of this? Do you feel James Harden makes the Clippers better? Or just does it not matter because of how top-heavy the West is right now? Will Philadelphia finally pull it together and keep Joel Embiid? Or does he already have one foot out the door? I want to thank you guys again for listening, for watching, for downloading, for donating, for doing all the things to help the podcast. Your support does not go unnoticed. So thank you. I will be back with a life tip pod on Friday. So until then, take care guys. And remember to include your closing tags. And remember, I was right about Kyrie Irving all along. This has been a Galactic Digital Studios production.